0: I know this can be awkward overcoming years a lifetime really of misperceptions and familiar delusions is challenging it requires diligent honesty awareness mindfulness and confidence but if you're listening to this program you're involved you're curious about the Dharma perhaps you're a Dharma student a practitioner and what you now understand is undeniable. Let it percolate, and in your comings and goings strive to remember it, think it, speak it, do it, and be it. Hiding because you're afraid only makes you invisible. This is Mark Winwood bringing you the Elegant Mind broadcast here on Valley 104.9 Community FM radio serving Duval Carnation and the Redmond Ridge in the lower Snoqualmie Valley, the beautiful lower Snoqualmie Valley of Washington State. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a, uh, a varied program today, and what I'd actually like to do to begin the program is to share some meditation, some breathing meditation with you. If you're driving along, perhaps you might want to pull over and listen to this broadcast But if you're listening at home or tuned into the internet stream or the podcast, you're in your own environment, and I assume, I hope you can just sit quietly, listen to what is being said, follow along. It's a breathing meditation, simple, simple breathing meditation. Breathing is something we all do. We're all very familiar with breathing, you know, and it's interesting. We actually take breathing, our breathing sometimes for granted. If we're feeling good, we're not suffering from allergies or a cold or a stuffed nose or or something of the sort. We really just take our breathing for granted. But consider that when you were born, that moment that you were born, the very, very first thing that you did upon emerging into the world, was take a breath, was inhale. And at the end of this life, whenever that occurs and wherever that occurs, the very last thing that you're going to do is going to exhale. Your final activity will be an exhalation. And in between that first inhalation and final exhalation has been your breathing, your breath, every moment of your life, every experience, every activity, Every moment has been accompanied by and supported by your breathing, by your breath. Your best friend, your all-time, most reliable, always there, best friend, your breathing, your breath. And we take it for granted. We don't even usually think about breathing. That's one of the nice aspects of a breathing meditation is to put our focus, our attention, our mindfulness, our awareness on our breathing, on our breath, appreciation and gratitude to begin the meditation on our breath. So let's sit comfortably with our back relatively straight so that our breathing is most unencumbered or less encumbered. And let's be quiet for just a moment or two, and I will lead you through a very simple, very effective breathing meditation that will take somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes. So get yourself comfortable and carve out that time and we'll begin. So the first step in using our breath as an object of meditation is to find it. What you're looking for is the physical, the tactile sensation of the air that passes in and out of the nostrils, usually just inside the tip of the nose. So this uh, exact spot varies from person to person depending on the shape of the nose. So find yours. Take a quick deep breath and notice the point just inside your nose or on the upper lip where you have the most distinct sensation of passing air. Now exhale and notice the sensation at that same point. It is from this point that you will follow the whole passage of your breath. So once you have located your own breath point with clarity, try not to deviate from that spot. Use this single point in order to keep your attention fixed. Without having selected this point, we sometimes move in and out of the nose, down the windpipe, into our lungs, chasing, chasing after our breath. And that is not necessary. That is not necessary. Find your spot right at the tip of your nose, right at the opening of your nostrils, and try to rest your attention there as you're breathing. It's from this spot that you're watching the entire movement of breath with clear and collected attention. Make no attempt to control the breath. This is not a breathing exercise of the sort that is sometimes done in yoga exercise. Don't try to regulate it or emphasize it in any way. Just let the breath come and go naturally as if you are asleep. Let go and allow the process to go along in its own rhythm. Breathing, which seems so mundane and uninteresting at first glance, is actually an enormously complex and fascinating process. It is full of delicate variations. If you just look, and that's what you're doing now. There is inhalation. There is exhalation. Long breath and short breath. Deep breath and shallow breath. Smooth breath. Ragged breath. Observe your breath closely. Really study it. You'll find both enormous varieties and a constant cycle of repeated patterns. It's like a symphony. Don't just observe the broad outlines of the breath. There's more to see here than just an in-breath and an out-breath. Every breath has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The depth and speed of your breathing changes according to your emotional state the thought that flows through your mind, and the sounds you hear. Watch this. Study this. You'll find them fascinating. Now this doesn't mean that you should be sitting there having little conversations with yourself inside your mind. Oh, there's a short one. There's a ragged one. I wonder what's next. No, that's thinking. You may find this sort of thing happens a lot if you're a beginner, but it's a passing phase. Simply keep returning your attention to your breath over and over and over again until your distractions cease to arise. Just as breathing comes in stages, so do the mental states. Every breath has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Every mental state has a birth, a growth, and a decay. You should strive to see these things clearly. It is said that one may attain enlightenment at any moment if the mind is kept in a state of meditative readiness The tiniest, most ordinary perception can be the stimulus. A view of the moon, the cry of a bird, the sound of the wind in the trees, the neon lights of Walmart. It's not so important what is perceived as the way in which you attend to that perception. That state of open readiness is essential. It could happen to you right now if you are ready. The sound of my voice in your ears or the tactile sensation of the carpet under your toes could be the cue. These words in your mind could be enough. You could attain enlightenment right now if you're ready. So I'm going to play some very soft music, not to have dead air on the radio. Music is the music of Bobby Vega, who you're becoming familiar with if you listen to this program on a regular basis. Bobby's a Bay Area musician. Soft music. Listen to it but keep your attention on your breathing. Let the breathing, let the music, let your awareness of the interaction between the two. Infiltrate your thoughts, watch, learn, and at the end of the music, I'll be back to reintroduce you to the real world. So enjoy your breathing, enjoy the music. This is Mark Winwood, The Elegant Mind. Watching the breath, following the breath. It's not that we have perfect concentration, of course. The mind is always wandering, continually jumping off the object again and again. This is very normal. But there's something there that is able to focus on the breathing, on your breath. When I sit and watch the breath, There is always something that identifies breath and then focuses on the breath. Were you able to find that? Were you able to discern the space of awareness that is the mind? What was it that was watching the breath? There's something there. Something that's able to observe the breath. It's not the breath itself. but It is simply observing the breath. This is not easy. Most of all cultures are not used to watching our minds. We're not even remotely aware of the mind. When you ask people what they think their mind is, they may say, well, it's busyness. They have no sense, no idea of the space of awareness. But you're tuned in to the elegant mind today, at this moment, and you're learning something different, something that may be new, but yet is very, very old, something unimaginably vast and expansive. And we have the luxury now, day after day, to do what we just did to sit. Breathe, and watch the breath, to use that as a vehicle to explore the nature of our minds, to find the space that's always there, to enter that space and then simply watch. So when you get anxious, you remember this, the nature of your mind. Anxiety, depression, pride, and jealousy, attachment and anger can be completely eliminated from passing through your mind. They are not in the nature of your mind. They are not who you are. They are not mind. They are simply delusion. And what we're working to get used to is what is mind. So again, what is it? What is it that is able to watch the breath? What is it? that identifies breath. Can you focus on that now as you sit, breathing, aware of your breathing? Can you see what it is that identifies your breath? Take your time, be patient, focus your concentration there, and then use that to go back to your breath. Focus aware only of your breathing. As we bring this meditation to a close, be aware of what you've experienced, be aware of what you've come to discover, and be aware that at any point in time, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the breath is there, not just as a life-supporting function of your body, But your breath is there, always there, as a portal, as a point of awareness to the open mind, the pure mind, the elegant mind. It's that simple. So this is Mark Winwood, bringing you the elegant mind, Valley 104.9 FM, serving Duval, Carnation, and the Redmond Ridge and we're going to take a short break and continue thereafter thank you so much for your participation and your time okay well welcome back this is Mark Winwood with The Elegant Mind and before we answer an email that I received a couple of days ago asking about how one develops faith, not just in the Buddhist teachings, but how does one develop faith overall? I'd like to take care of some business. I'd like to tell you a little bit about the Chenrissic Project and about an event that we have going on in Duval. If you're listening to this program on Saturday morning, June 9th, well, the program is today. The event is today, and it's a film festival, Dharma Film Festival, taking place in the Visitor Center in downtown Duval on Main Street from 1 p.m. until about 9.30 this evening. We're showing four films, completely free admission and free popcorn. We're showing four films. And you can get information on our website, Chenrezig Project.org. Films are screening at 1 p.m., 2:30, 4:15, and then 7 p.m. The first film is a biography of the Dalai Lama. The second films at 2:30 and 4:15 are films that deal with different aspects of living and dying and death and what occurs after death, reincarnation. One of the films is a real-life docudrama and the other is a really beautifully artistically done film narrated by Leonard Cohen which talks about the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the barototal Tibetan Book of the Dead. After a dinner break at 7 p.m., We're showing a film called St. Misbehavin' about the life of Wavy Gravy, Hugh Romney, the Bodhisattva Clown. It's wonderful, really a fun film. We showed St. Misbehavin' at some of the festivals that we did back in Florida, and it was always a crowd favorite, and in fact inspired some people to travel to California to go to Wavy's camp. Camp Winner Rainbow up in Northern California to participate in some of his activities. So that's at 7 p.m. St. Misbehavin. All films are free of charge. The Chenrizic Project is a Tibetan Buddhist study practice group that I, Mark Winwood, founded and am the resident teacher now in Duval. We formed the Chenrisic Project about 12 years ago. And we are now, as I said, in Duval, but we've got some national connectivity via online teachings that we conduct on Wednesday afternoons. Folks all over the country are tuning in via our GoToMeeting platform. Some of the things that we do, publish a weekly e-magazine. Content includes original writings, quotes, news, timely news, features of interest, and a calendar of the Chenrezig Projects, and broadcasts, and events. It's all free. All you need to do is go to our website, chenrezigproject.org, and sign up. You'll get our newsletter if you'd like it every Wednesday. It's also easy to unsubscribe from the newsletter if you're so inclined. So feel free to take a chance with that. We publish a, an irregular series of Dharma insights we call Dharma Breadcrumbs. Short, Dharma-Inclined Thoughts and Perspectives, written in a fairly free-form fashion, keying off everyday issues and events in the news, and that also is free to receive. You can sign up for that on our website. On Wednesdays, we conduct our Dharma Bridge gatherings. Wednesday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. We're online for two hours. Go to meeting. It's video and audio participation. So there's folks from we have little windows with people's faces in them, people's heads in them, all over the country. We discuss teachings. We share teachings. We have questions and answers. And and it's sangha. It is. It's a community of uh, of students. Sangha. Online, everyone sitting in their home on their on their computer or their tablet or their smartphone, and we do this every Wednesday. If you're interested, again, go to the website and, or you can just send an email to info at chandrasicproject.org. Or again, if this is Saturday, you can come down to the film festival and meet me and give me your information. We also here in Duval on every other Thursday evening, the first and third Thursdays of each month, we are meeting at 6 p.m. at Longevity Foods right across 203 from the subway. Two-hour meetings, we do meditation, share teachings, and explore the Buddhist path and how it can best relate to our lives in person in Duval on Thursday evenings. All are welcome. There is no charge for anything any of these. Our newsletter, our meetings, our online activities, uh, our writings, there is uh, there's no charge for any of this. And lastly we are planning in the very preliminary planning stages to host a, or to conduct a retreat, a residential retreat somewhere in the Duval area, not too far away, western Washington, and it will be over a retreat over the course of a weekend. There will be a curriculum that will follow, teaching, meditation, and retreat will probably begin on late Friday afternoon, run all day Saturday and then conclude sometime Sunday after lunch. And if you're interested in in this, just be in touch. Or if you can suggest or would like to suggest the location for a residential retreat, I'd say probably up to 20 people, just be in touch. Let me know. You can always get me via email at info. At chinrizicproject.org. Very simple. Or come down to Longevity Foods on the Thursday night, first or third Thursday of the month, 6 p.m., and say hi and sit down and uh, explore. Explore the Buddhist path, Tibetan Buddhist path. Quite interesting. And it is a path that is open to all, regardless of religious beliefs or spiritual ideas or a lack of religious beliefs or a lack of spiritual ideas this is non-denominational this is not a path that is uh, concerned with turning people into Buddhists or making more Buddhists this is a path about making people happier about making people more beneficial to themselves and others cultivating attitudes, enduring attitudes of well-being and wholesomeness and generosity and kindness and confidence. I like to refer to the Buddhist teachings, the Buddhist practices, the Buddhist meditations as vitamins for your mind, regardless of where your mind is at, or what your mind is doing or not doing, these Buddhist teachings are, uh, are strengthening, clarifying and strengthening. So please, uh, we're delighted to be here in Duval after a couple of years up in Monroe and many years back in Florida. We are delighted to be here in the Duval community. We're real excited about our film festival. So if it's Saturday, come on down. If it's Sunday, oops, you missed it. If you listen to the podcast, oops, you missed it but we do lots of other things. So please feel free to come, enjoy, and participate. Again, this is Mark Winwood. The Elegant Mind being broadcast on Valley 104.9 FM, Community Radio. Okay, so switching gears just a little bit, I received an email, uh, a question, an emailed question from someone who lives in carnation and by the way you can always send email to the elegant mind at valley1049.org the elegant mind at valley1049.org i will get those emails email questions email comments email criticisms kindly written whatever you'd like to be in touch with and I will, uh, I'll get them, and I will address them uh, promptly for you. I'm going to paraphrase what she wrote. The email read like this. How do I develop faith? I've seen so much, and I've grown to be so skeptical, I'm always full of doubts and untrusting what people are saying, what people are trying to convince me of. You know, it's as though they're always trying to sell me something or make me believe something. And, and what do I do? How do I, how do I develop faith? So I'd like to address that. It is a great question. And it's a question that is, is frequently discussed in, in the Buddhist circles. You know, most of us who study these Buddhist teachings and perspectives We're not raised in Buddhist cultures or Buddhist societies. We were raised here in the West and Judeo-Christian belief. So we come to Buddhism having grown up with very different ideas. And we encounter these teachings and they're different. And sometimes they appear to be in direct contrast or conflict with some of our ideas that we hold very deeply, very uh, authentically. So what do we do? How do we, can we, and if we can, how do we allow these teachings to penetrate? How do we develop faith in these teachings so that we can merge and intermingle them with our current ideas? So I'd like to just begin this discussion quoting a monk named Matthew Ricard who wrote a very, very short piece on the cultivation of faith. I'd like to share this with you. It's a Buddhist definition of faith. So Matthew says, Faith is a word that has quite loaded connotations in the West. Buddhism distinguishes four different aspects of faith. The first is the feeling of clarity and inspiration that's aroused when you hear a spiritual teaching or the life story of the Buddha or a great teacher. You encounter the Dalai Lama. It's a kind of very keen interest. From that, the second aspect is more of an aspiration. It's the desire to know more. To put a teaching into practice yourself to follow the example of a great teacher and little by little attain the same insights the same perfections the third aspect of cultivating faith is when faith or belief turns into a conviction the certainty acquired by verifying yourself the validity of the teachings and the effectiveness of the spiritual path from which you obtain growing satisfaction and a sense of fullness. It's a bit like discovering a landscape that gets more and more beautiful the further you penetrate into it. Lastly, when you find that whatever the circumstances may be, your conviction is never contravened or proved wrong. You attain a stability in your practice that makes it possible to use whatever happens in life, favorable or unfavorable, to progress. Your certainty, your faith, becomes a certainty and it becomes second nature to you and it therefore becomes irreversible. It's no longer something that you're curious about. It's no longer something that you're investigating. It's no longer something that you've come to believe It is something that you have come to know, and there is a progressive path of reasoning that leads one to this type of faith. So Matthew concludes, he says, so these are the four stages of Buddhist faith, which is not at all a leap that the intellect has to make, but is the fruit of progressive discovery and of confirmation that the spiritual path truly does bear fruit. So faith, faith in Buddhist thinking, is not something that is blindly accepted. It's not just believed because of who said it or why they said it or how many times it's been said or even how many people believe it. That's not where faith is cultivated in the Buddhist world. Faith is cultivated, developed and experienced through engagement experience through engagement. So, you know, we can we can examine any philosophical or religious or spiritual tradition and and to see what role it gives to the path of faith and what role to the path of reasoning it, it pertains to. In a tradition where faith is foremost, which is not Buddhism, but I think in a tradition where faith is foremost a practitioner first believes in the authenticity of the tradition or the teachers, the teacher's expositions or, or teachings or talks or quotes or whatever. So as a result of that faith in the teacher, one believes the teacher's words and in those traditions the teacher is really quite important. But in contrast. In a tradition that emphasizes the path of reasoning or the actual teachings that are given being more important than whoever the individual teacher may be, people who follow this path use their own intelligence to examine what it is that the teacher says. In the course of one's examinations or one's investigations, one may ask, you know, are these teachings really an antidote for my suffering? Do they help to relieve my disturbing emotions, those uh, afflictions that I experience? Do they help me to clear away my confusion? So if one intelligently examines the teachings and is able to answer those questions in the affirmative, then one will begin to believe in the teachings and hold their, their morals and their wisdoms in high regard. It's gaining this confidence in the teachings, and as a result of that, gaining faith in the teacher, that is the path of reasoning. It doesn't begin with the teacher. It begins with the teachings and cultivating faith through reasoning in the teachings that one then develops faith in the teacher. And again, this is the The path of reasoning, and I put forth to you that the Buddhist path, the Tibetan Buddhist path, the mind science of the Tibetan people is a path of reasoning. Faith cultivated by reasoning, faith cultivated by experience and understanding, wisdom and clarity, not through blind The Buddha himself, Siddhartha himself emphasized the importance of this path of reasoning, this intelligent examination of all that is being taught. He told his students that their level of faith in his teachings and in him should be a product of their own critical analysis of his words. He said if they analyzed and found his teachings beneficial, they should practice them, and if not, they should leave them aside. In this way, people who listen to his teachings should be like a merchant buying gold. Gold merchants do not merely accept the seller's praise of his goods. Rather, they use a variety of methods to examine the quality of the merchandise before they make their purchase decisions. Similarly, the Buddha said, do not accept my teachings out of faith in me, but rather out of your own confidence in my words confidence that you have reached as a result of your own intelligent analysis. So this emphasis on the path of reasoning doesn't deny the importance of faith. Faith is vital, but the way in which one arrives at one's faith is important. When faith arises as a result of analysis, it's much more stable because the analysis will will detect and be able to resolve whatever doubts one might have. In contrast, when one simply believes in something from the outset without having used one's intelligence to analyze the reasons for holding that belief, there's danger that later on one will become cognizant of logical contradictions to one's belief and begin to doubt it. In that instance, resolving doubts is difficult because we've deprived ourselves of the tool of intelligent analysis. You know, the Dalai Lama makes a really interesting point in talking about faith and he says that it is not the role of a Buddhist practitioner, of a beginner, to just begin believing what it is that they hear, what it is that they read, what it is that the Buddha said or any of the great teachers, Shantideva, or Atisha, Lama Kapa. There's a whole lineage of teachers, really quite remarkable people. He says, and in fact, he says, to just believe upon hearing is a detriment, because it precludes you from investigating. Just to believe something means that we're not going to look into it we're not going to parse it, we're not going to in the idea of the gold merchant, we're not going to bite it to see if it's real or not, we're just going to believe. So just blind belief or blind faith is a detriment, it is a drawback in which ultimately doubts can begin to arise and these doubts will take on a, a, you know, a, a, a skepticism and possibly even a cynicism because there is nothing to disprove them. They're doubts and they grow they are like, like mushrooms growing, you know, in a, in a wet field. They just will continue to grow and there's nothing to keep them from growing. But if faith is cultivated through analysis, if faith is cultivated through reasoning and understanding, the doubt won't set in. The doubt And it certainly, whatever doubt does set in, can be analyzed and rectified through analysis. It won't just continue to grow on its own. So this is why it's important. This is why the, the Tibetan Buddhist paths stress the importance to analyze, to study from the outset. And to use analysis to clear up doubts. When one is analyzing and studying, it's good to ask questions and to have doubts. It is good to give one's intelligence free rein to investigate. Analysis produces a faith that is certain and does not have to be shielded from logical inquiry or newly obtained information. So, great, but how do I, how do I analyze? How do I do this? Sounds wonderful. I agree. Analysis. Faith through reasoning. Faith through analysis. But how do I do it? What's the process? So Siddhartha's teachings direct us to analyze the way things appear to us. The mode of appearance. Meaning, how does it appear to be? And then the mode of underlying reality meaning how something actually is its true nature so there's the analysis how does it appear to be and how can it actually be as our analysis and and these are different these two modes are different obviously the problem often comes when we don't differentiate between them so ordinarily speaking sentient beings, you and me and everyone we know, were afflicted by this confusion which is really primarily a mistaken way of thinking. We think that there is no underlying reality that is different from what we think is appearing to us. We don't question the validity of the information that our thoughts give us about our experience. This confusion is what causes sentient beings to suffer And this experience of confusion and suffering is what Siddhartha called samsara. Samsara. Samsara is basically when we think about our experiences in a confused way. But the Buddha also taught that if we relate to our experiences with wisdom rather than ignorance... We can be free of suffering is the word that's often used, suffering. Actually, the Buddha used Dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A, Dukkha, which has been translated into suffering, but not really that accurately or that completely. Suffering is an aspect of Dukkha, but so is confusion and doubt and ignorance and anger and jealousy, arrogance fear, inferiority, greed, etc., etc., all aspects of Dukkha, not just suffering, but really confusion, confusion. The Buddha, again, taught that if we relate to our experiences with wisdom rather than ignorance, we can be free of suffering and realize the very true nature of our mind, which is not samsara, confusion, but is called nirvana, nirvana, the true nature, the clear nature of our mind. So this whole idea is contrary to our habitual ways of thinking about things, even this don't take this at face value. Don't have any faith in what I'm telling you. Don't take it at face value. Go out and investigate it. And then you'll see this investigation needs to focus on our very own experiences. How do our experiences appear to be? What are the? What is the true nature of our experience? And then we use our intelligence to investigate this and analyze this. When we follow this path of analysis leading to reasoning, we use our intelligence to critically examine what our teachers explain to us. We resolve our doubts about their teachings by analyzing our own life experiences to see if the teachings are valid and whether they give useful insights or not. If we can gain certainty in the teachings accuracy and in the benefit of those teachings we then meditate in order to turn that certainty into experience that penetrates and resides in our mind this has very positive effects we should investigate investigate this for ourselves and see you know the the process of cultivating faith by reasoning has often been compared to the way we eat food and the process of eating food in the Tibetan ways we study, we learn, we reason, we contemplate, we investigate, we analyze what it is that we have come to learn and then what passes that gate we then meditate on, deeply, deeply, deeply think, focus, meditate. And by doing that, whatever it is that has been learned, has been confirmed as true, and then meditated upon, becomes part of our mind, becomes part of our thought process. Very much in the same way in the analogy or the metaphor of a computer, information moves from the disk drive or from the remember the floppy disk or from the cloud this knowledge penetrates and becomes part of our operating system there always there regardless of what the mind and body is doing the analogy of food is a good one we eat we eat food we eat nutritious substance And the eating of food is uh, akin to the learning, the taking in of knowledge and study. We then, we chew our food and our food passes through our digestive tract. And it is the digesting, the taking the nutrients from the food, separating the nutrients from the waste and taking the nutrients, the product of digesting, digestion, is looked upon as contemplation of what we've come to learn, what we've come to study. It's the contemplation, the analysis, the reasoning, the investigation, is the digestion of what we've come to learn, and then meditating on what it is that we have digested, if you will, and allowing that information to then pass deeply into our mind is the same as the nutrients from our digested food entering into our bloodstream, nourishing every part of our body through the flow of blood becoming us, the food, the nutrients in the food becoming us. Just like the nutrients, the wisdom, the intelligence, the knowledge, the insight of what we've come to learn and investigate and analyze enters into our mind and becomes us, becomes part of our thoughts and our perspectives, our understandings. It's, a, it's an analogy that works. So again, we follow how to cultivate. The email asked, how do I cultivate faith? How am I always not doubting and not trusting? How do I cultivate faith? Well, follow the path of analysis. That leads to reasoning, and use the intelligence, use our intelligence to critically examine what it is we've encountered. In the Buddhist case, what it is that our teachers have come to explain to us. We then resolve our doubts about the teachings, our misunderstandings of the teachings by analyzing our own life experiences to see if the teachings are valid and if they Provide useful insights. It's so important, not just to believe, but to listen carefully and then compare what it is that we've heard with our own lives, with the things that we've come to see and learn and experience. And then, through that, if we gain a certainty in the teaching's accuracy and the benefit of those teachings, we then meditate upon that to turn that into experience on how things truly exist. The true nature of reality has very positive effects and teachings the Buddha, all the teachers from the time of the Buddha and even even me (laughs) I am far from a Buddha, far, far, far from a Buddha. But even me, I can sit here in my home in front of this microphone and tell you the same thing. Investigate. Go investigate and see for yourself. See for yourself. Then, then you will cultivate the faith that comes from your own intelligence and diligence rather than from some external command, some clever story, some, some, some maxim, or some person who is you know, quite attractive and has a, has a certain bit of charisma about them. You won't cultivate this faith from an outer person or a doctrine. It will be faith that will be cultivated through your own true nature. It is faith that is inseparable from the true nature of your mind. This is faith, belief, knowledge, and this is how it's done. This is how it's done, the process of faith, the path of reasoning. As uh, once again, as Matthew said, first, there's this feeling of clarity, inspiration that's aroused, then moving beyond the inspiration or the aspiration, there is, there is this desire to know more, to put a teaching into practice yourself, follow perhaps the examples, a great teacher, and then through analysis, experience, the faith, this idea, turns into a conviction, a certainty, because you yourself have verified the validity of the teaching, the effectiveness of the teaching, and there's a a satisfaction, a sense of fullness that begins to develop in relation to that, like discovering a landscape. that gets more and more beautiful the further that you penetrate into it, and then there is a, uh, a stability that is, uh, that is born, a stability that emerges. Whatever happens in your life, favorable or unfavorable, whatever it is that you're encountering, whoever it is that you're encountering, the stability is rock solid, It is, it's there, it's part of your mind, it is everything that you're experiencing is being experienced. Through that lens, through that lens, that's what faith is. It's a, it's a lens. It's a, it's a facet that is cut into the, into the brilliance of your mind through which everything is, uh, is perceived and reflected. This is faith in the Buddhist path, on the Buddhist path. So uh, this is Mark Linwood. And I am the host of The Elegant Mind. And as I've said in the past, I don't necessarily believe that my mind is any more elegant than anyone others in a practical, cultivated way. But I do, I do believe, I firmly believe, and yes, I do have faith. And I, through experiences and things that I've seen... I really do know, I have come to know that each of our minds contains the seeds. Each of our mind contains the potential for absolute elegance, grace and beauty, inspiring grace and beauty, each of our minds. Sometimes all we have to do, all we have to do is quiet down, Breathe, allow our mind to open just a little bit, allow that elegance to emerge just a little bit, to know that it's there and to perhaps for some of us determine to further uncover it, to allow it to blossom more fully, more completely, more consistently. This is the elegant mind. You've got one. I've got one. It is an honor, privilege to share these ideas with you and to cultivate the elegance of our mind together. Once again, Mark Winwood. This is Valley 104.9 FM Radio, serving Duval, Carnation, and the Redmond Ridge in the Snoqualmie Valley we are streamed on the internet at valley1049.org this program is under it by the Chenrisik Project of Duval thank you so much for tuning in and we'll be back at it next week thank you so very much bye-bye